I mean, that's satisfactory to my mind. It's not one, you know, that you'd go to the stake for necessarily. But So, um, angels who fell with Satan, Matthew chapter 12. By the way, we're on page 44 of the handout, or we are... That would be the page if we were following it. Matthew twelve twenty four says uh, and talks about uh, Beelzebub, who is the prince of the devils. So you've got there the one who's over the devils. They're the ones who followed him, or the demons. Okay, now, we asked the same question we asked earlier, I do ask the same question I asked earlier. Um, We're not told exactly, although we can infer from scripture, when the angels were created, when did the fall of Lucifer take place? When, when was Lucifer created? If he was created with the angels and everything else sometime prior to the creation of the world, when did his fall occur? And this will have a bearing on interpretation of numerous passages of Scripture. In other words, a couple possibilities. It's possible that during the six days of creation that are mentioned in the book of Genesis possible that sometime in that period, although we're not told when, God created the spirit beings. That's one possibility. And that sometime within that sixth day also, they, the rebellion took place and they fell. Within the six day period. Well, it's possible. It doesn't seem likely, but go ahead. Um, I, I, I thought that they were created before creation, right? Before the creation of the world, you mean? Correct. Yes. But um, in verse in Isaiah fourteen thirteen, in the I wills he says, stars, mountains, congregation, north, clouds. So there must have been. Well, must have been what? That created. It certainly seems like it, doesn't it? Um. The other possibility, one other possibility, I suppose there are others, is that as Ozzy has brought before us, that, that Satan and or Lucifer and the rest of the angels were created sometime prior to the creation of the world. It appears that, well, just from the reading of Genesis, that the first appearance of Satan on earth, his enmity towards God is already fixed and established, so it seems a little bit difficult to imagine that happening within just the few days of creation. Um, Ozzy brings out another point, and that is from his fall, there are already things mentioned, like stars and mountains and everything else. So there's another viewpoint, which has fallen on very hard times recently. I'm one of the very few that still kind of holds to it, but that's okay. Um, I don't mind be an odd man out sometimes, uh, that there was a creation that existed before the six days of creation in the book of Genesis. 
that there was a world that existed that God had created and that through Lucifer's fall, that world came under judgment and bore the scars of that judgment and that what you get in Genesis chapter 1 is not original creation but recreation that the world had become a void and formless because of a judgment that had occurred upon the planet because the planet was Satan's or Lucifer's particular sphere of activity. If you can imagine, if you will, that there was a created world, Eden, as it's called in Ezekiel 28, and Satan apparently, or Lucifer at that point, was in charge of leading the worship of God. And he has a peculiar attachment to the planet Earth. It may have been his domain. And so when he fell and got the boot and judgment took place and the world became without form and void, tohu bohu in the Hebrew there, that uh, Satan's animosity towards God and towards the planet was centered in anything that would have to do with the rule of planet Earth. So when God now creates a man and places him on the planet to have dominion over the world, immediately Satan attacks. And when the Son of God comes and Satan offers him all the kingdoms of the world, and the Lord never says they're not yours to offer, and when he is called the prince of the power of this world, and so on, Anyway, there's another viewpoint there. Not very popular anymore. At one time, uh, held a bit of sway. Has fallen on very hard times recently. Still appeals to my mind. Has its problems, as do some of the other views. But anyway, I put it before you. Is that what's referred to as gap theory? Gap Gap fact. Um, yes, it would be, but there's, there's a couple of variations in that. I want to be careful. And there's, uh, there's, you know, the talk of a pre Adamic, uh, uh, race of people and so on and so on. Yeah. But anyway, um, it, it grew in popularity through the Schofield Bible primarily because Schofield Bible is widely used to promote that particular view. It's fallen on very hard times because of two things, two, three, three things, three things that are important to know. One, widespread anti-dispensational sentiment through reform theology, etc., etc., etc. Anti-Schofieldism promoted by creationists who who detest Schofield and the Gap and all the rest because of their early Earth Age theory and they feel it incompatible. And and don't hear me wrong here, the homeschool movement, which buys into a lot of puritanical belief and creationism and has fostered along with it, not in its entirety, but has been a vehicle 
for a sort of an anti-dispensational, very pro-creation. I'm not anti-creation, but you understand the difference of what I'm saying. So I've unearthed that as I've gone along quite a bit. Which part did I confuse you on? All of it? (laughs) On the last or the other? The whole way. Well, forget it then. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, Johnny, go. I was going to ask how is it the the anti... uh, I just wanted to, if you could expand, I mean, it takes too long to ask you, but the anti-dispensationalist movement or towards covenant theology doesn't like the idea of gap or whatever. Uh, I I don't see the connection there. I could see the creation. Yeah. The anti-dispensational is anti-Schofield. So anything Schofield said that they thought was his peculiar view or that he came up with, you see. And what you'll generally hear is this. You'll hear this by the creationist guys, too, many of whom I have a great deal of respect for, but they're not very fair in some of their assessments. They'll say that Schofield and Darby and those guys were just trying to accommodate science of the day that science was coming up with these new discoveries, and so they had to figure out a way. And, and, you know, that initially appealed to me. One of my first questions when I got saved was, what about the dinosaurs? Well, if you got these millions of years that occur, you know, between this gap period, then ah, fits perfect, right? Accommodate science. But what they're unfair in their assessment of is that Schofield and, and Darby and those men, if I could put it plainly, didn't give a flip about science, Okay nor did they seek to accommodate it in any kind of way. What they sought to do was go with what they felt the revelation of Scripture was. That was the basis of their belief. And so when they came to a passage like Jeremiah chapter 4, that, um, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 4. Help me out if it's not. I believe it is. Do you know where? I should have it marked and don't. Verse 23. Yes, yes, yes. Without form and void in the heavens. That's right. Tohu bohu. I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form and void. Now those are the terms that are described in Genesis chapter 1. They're the same terminology in the Hebrew. And it's, if you'll notice, it's in the context of a judgment that has occurred in verse 20, destruction upon destruction and so on and so on. Uh, the whole land will be made desolate in verse 27. The earth mourn, the heavens above black. So in, a, in, the, in the context of judgment, uh, these terms are used. Now, over in Isaiah, uh, chapter 24, I think. Help me out if it's not. Chapter 24. Um, Let me get my place here. I hadn't been in this in a while. Wait a minute. Where is it? No. I'm looking for, in my mind, this is not the right passage. Who has a Schofield Bible? Anybody? Wait. A, B. I do. Look in Genesis chapter 1 and look for the reference to Isaiah. I might have it in Genesis as well, even though I don't have the Schofield here. 
I'll tie this all together in a minute. I'll seek to clarify it. Look at the note at Genesis 1. It's Isaiah. I'm sorry, it is 24.1. I don't know why I said it wasn't. That's 1. And then 45.18 is the other one. 45.18. Isaiah 45.18 particularly. This is a critical verse here. Isaiah 45.18 says this. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he established it, he created it not vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. So you have... uh, There, that the Lord did not create it empty, void. And the the word in in Genesis chapter 1, the earth was without form and void, became formless and void. In other words, it was a scene of judgment in Genesis 1. You following me on that, Johnny Gill? Yeah. Where were we? You were just asking about the anti-dispensationalism. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, so, So what I was saying is that their basis for saying what they said was not we got to somehow make science fit. Their basis was, we see this in Scripture, and this is the conclusion we come to. And that's my basis for it. Now, I will confess to you, there are, there are interpretive arguments against, and there are many. Uh, if you hold this view, you're in a minority. Nowadays, it wasn't always that way 100 years ago, 50 years ago. It is now, and perhaps it hasn't been taught as much. But my question is, Again, when you see the fall of Lucifer, when you see what he was before he fell, and he was in Eden, the garden of God, and so on, and all that other description of him, when did that happen? You know, and, and when, 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 uh, was, uh, when did God form the earth and create it not void, not in vain? So, to summarize the view I'm saying, there's a possibility, or at least there's a view, that before the creation of man, Adam and Eve, as we know them, there was Satan, or Lucifer as he was known then, his sphere of responsibility was the earth, so sort of a, a dominion that was given to him. He obviously now has a peculiar interest in earth, of all the planets around, and that was sort of his rule, his kingdom, if you will. And he was had a group of folks with him, angels, that were to lead in the worship to God. And he fell. And when he fell, the earth bore the marks of that and became formless and void. And then the Spirit of God brooded over the waters and you have a recreation uh, in in that chapter. Anyway, I don't want to dwell too much on that, but that's... Yeah, I, I, I haven't put too much thought on that. That's some good point, but I, I, as you're speaking, I just thought that, it, I mean, this might be a giant leap, but uh, to support that, you know, the next person that it talks about is the Spirit of God moving across the faces of the water. And one of the one of his roles as, you know, deity is that he's convincing the world that the rule of this world has been judged. Yeah. So it seems that he's there, and it seems there's judgment already, you know, passed out by him. Yes. And that's why he said, you know, he said to... In a scene of judgment to, yes. He said to man to convince them that, look, the rule of this world has already been judged. He has no claim, and God has, well, you know, will prove victorious. He is victorious, you know, but... 
to convince them, even though there's a big discussion that Satan is, you know, in some kind of uh, mm -hmm. battle with God. The battle is already over in the mind. And and the sometimes you'll hear verse two described by anybody. It doesn't have to be this particular view. The chaotic earth. It was in chaos. Chaos. Um, I wanted to joke with uh, Sarah last night. I said, you know what, cosmetology, that's a biblical concept. <laughs> Did you know that? I mean, cosmos, that's the Greek word for world. And, and it means to bring order out of chaos. <laughs> so... <laughs> so that's what a cosmetologist does. They bring order out of chaos, you know. But <laughs> but anyway, um, the uh, the uh, why did I even say that? Um, oh, the, the chaotic earth and the spirit brooding over that scene of chaos, like he does now. You know, so there's a lot of parallels, uh, but I know we're not here to talk about Satan, but it does bring up some other issues. The reason why I wanted to say it, a reason why I wanted to, uh, to bring it up, because we have to figure out where these demons came from and all, and it, it's going to bring up another issue when we come to the categories of demons. Um, if we could, I don't want to dwell too much on that. If you have any other questions, I'll be glad to answer it. I know it's confusing if you've never heard that presented before, and I don't want to... Yes, Marguerite. I would like to refer to Revelation 21. Okay. The building of the wall? No, Revelation 22. 22, okay, yes, alright, yes. 22, 18. Yes. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone shall add to these things, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Yes. And if anyone takes from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part with the tree of life. Yes. What I'm thinking of is, is if we try to go beyond yep. what God has been pleased to reveal to us yes. through the scripture, yes. if we try to get into gaps and missing portions that we don't know anything about, yeah. we will be confused. Yeah. And I don't think the Lord wants us to be confused. Right. He wants us to get a hold of truth. Absolutely. To buy the truth and sell it not. Yes. In my mind, it's clear it's not interjecting things. And I, that's why I hesitated when he said gap, because I don't, terminology is difficult. And I, I don't want to be pigeonholed in a certain thing. The gap question or even terminology is not what's critical to me. What's critical to me is coming to Jeremiah 4 and Isaiah to understand that the Lord said he did not create the earth formless and void. And that when did it become like that? And when did Satan have this sphere of activity? And as Ozzy brought out, which I had never mentioned, but which is part of the value of these studies, I never noticed the fact that in Isaiah 14, there were stars, there were mountains, there were things that were already there of which he was going to ascend above. You know? Huh? Well, I mean, I never noticed it. So anyway, it's just an interpretive thing. Um, it's not one of those things that's a fundamental that you have to believe or disbelieve that affects the faith. 
but and it doesn't e- either deny a six-day literal creation. I mean, I hold to that. I adhere to that very strongly. Um, but the major question that is affected by any of this yes. is the question of timing. Timing. Correct? Yeah. The question of origin is the same. Absolutely. And the question of function Absolutely. will be the same. Yes. The, function of, the, the question of roles, all that's going to be the same. So that's why it's probably not going to be profitable for our study on the that's doctrine right. as a whole. We camp there. Only, only, to, only to say that it may... It, in. I offer it to say, in my mind, it helps resolve certain issues. Mm-hmm. To, to, in my mind, to put the creation of Satan and those fallen angels in that six-day time slot, you know, and to say that, that he grew to that kind of animosity towards man, God, and everything else, somehow from day one to day six, am I saying it couldn't happen? No, I, I'd never do that. It could, but it doesn't seem to be what the Scripture reveals that once he appears on the scene, his enmity is already fixed. If so, when did that happen? And I think they're supporting passages. But having said that, we will certainly move along because we come to now maybe a sticky issue. Uh, When we come to the categories of fallen angels, turn to 2 Peter. And verse 4 of chapter 2, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. That's Second Peter 2, 4. If God spared not the angels that sinned, cast them down to hell, delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and so on, and so on. Who are these angels, and when did they sin? Are these the angels that followed Lucifer? Is that the sin that's talked about here? Anybody want to jump in the deep water and hazard their lives? <laughs> You're among friends. You think it's that? No, I say take it's that. Oh, take a stab. Yes, that's a good thing for a doctor to do on occasion. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful where you use that terminology in your practice, you know. Yeah. Um, no, no, I think it's been a while since I thought about this. Yes. But, um, so, somehow uh, I heard, and I can't remember, could have been from you, but... <laughs> that that uh, there was... You know, the, the fallen angels and the demons that followed Satan, some of them, some of them got, uh, supposedly they were so bad that God had to, you know, lock them away in uh, a prison that, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, is it in Luke where, where the demon-possessed man, um, the demon-possessed man, when the Lord, you know, uh, commanded the demons to leave, they begged them that they would be put and to the, to the pig, to the swine, setting, setting them off to the abyss or whatever yeah. that place was. Yeah. And I thought this was a reference to that. And I don't know in Revelation, I haven't read it uh, in a while either, I can't remember what chapter, but it says that, it doesn't say that, that you know, that this abyss was opened, opened and some of the, I guess, the smoke came out or whatever, and, and these, uh, like, Horrible, these creatures came out, right? They had, you know, face of man, you know, and the uh, body of a horse, right? And they're like women, and 
So I thought these angels were, you know, so bad that the Lord actually put them away, locked them away in the abyss. What do you think they did different than the other angels? I don't know if they did anything different, but... They were just worse. I, I, mean. I, I just thought it was the Lord for our sake, or you know, oh, for the sake of humanity, yeah. the Lord locked away. Well, that's, that's an interesting thought. Um, a couple things about that in Second Peter 2.4. These particular angels that sinned, uh, when it says they were cast down to hell, you probably already know that that's the word Tartarus, I believe it is in the Greek. It's a different word than the normal word, so it's like a special holding place. They are reserved into chains of darkness, reserved to judgment. So whatever these angels are, they are not the demons that are active in the world because they are reserved. They're there bound up in prison. Jude uh, will say a little bit differently in Jude verse 6, the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And then you've got to notice the next verse in context. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Um, these particular angels did something unique. And God reserved them to the chains of darkness uh, and judgment of the great day they left Jude says their first estate uh, they kept not their first estate they left their own habitation so to open another huge can of worms look on page 42 of the handout and uh, you'll have a very nice I thought he did a very nice job here of comparing the various views of Genesis chapter 6 and if you're not familiar with that passage, let me just read to you Genesis chapter 6. You're more than welcome to follow along and read it as well. Genesis chapter 6 that says, It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, Yet his days shall be 120 years, and so on. And the judgment of the flood is the next thing to follow. Now, in Second Peter, you'll find immediately after verse 4, these angels that were reserved unto judgment, it says, And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah. So the next thing that follows is the, the flood in context of Second Peter. Now, the issue is that the sons of God there in chapter 6 and verse 2 is the same terminology, uh, benai Elohim, which is the, the word that is used for sons of God everywhere else, like we saw in Job, to speak of the angels, created beings, sons of God which appeared before the Lord, chapter 1 of Job, the sons of God in chapter 38 that sang uh, at the creation. So... Uh, you'll see here on uh, page 42 the outline of three different, probably the three major positions of viewpoints on uh, the sons of God and the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6. One position says that they were angelic creatures. A second says that they were apostate Sethites, that is that they came from the line of Seth. 
And another view says that they were chieftains who married a plurality of wives. And then you have following the proofs and the problems and the proponents. Now, there's about seven Ps there. You could get a pretty good sermon there, seven points in a poem. But uh, anyway, um, you have... Not that this ever matters. Please don't hear me wrong on this. You've got good men on both sides, as you would on almost any issue you come to. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and jump out on the little bit of the twig of the limb that I tend to do anyway and say that my position as I see Scripture, and this does not have to be yours. Again, it's not one that you go to the stake for. My position is the first that these were fallen angels that cohabited with women and produced a race of the Anakims and Rephidim, the giants that were still progenies afterwards. And that it is the basis, as I was talking to, um, to was it Yvette and Nadine? I think. Oh, Lisa, about the movies concepts. Um, you will find this concept, as you will often, perverted in truths, uh, perverted truths or distorted truths, woven into not only mythology, but woven into um, even popular culture. Uh, a little bit before your, your, most of your time, there was a movie, where, a famous movie once called Rosemary's Baby. Remember, and that was where Satan supposedly impregnated this woman and her seed was the seed of Satan and so on. Uh, things like that. You had the Greek gods who came down to cohabit with human beings and so on. Well, sometimes perversions like that have an element of truth in them. Now, listed are the, the references that would be listed for proof. The problems are very apparent. So whatever you make of that, there's a category of angels that Second Peter says that did a particular unique sin and are reserved under the day of judgment. They're not let out like the other demons, if in fact the demons are the fallen angels. And Jude says it as well. You don't even have to go over this if you don't want. All three views, I think, are fairly represented there, along with their problems and their proofs. One reason I hold to mine, the only reason I hold to mine, is because if you look, it has the most, in my mind at least, scriptural basis. Okay? That you don't have, that I don't have to speculate about. Were they the line of Seth? Maybe it was, but it doesn't say that they were. You know? So, anyway. So what you're saying is that perhaps the particular sin that they committed was in Genesis 6, 1, the sons of God taking the daughters of men? Yes, and that, that caused the corruption of the earth in that day. The demonic activity that that produced corrupted the race to the point that God stepped in and judged it with the flood. That it produced what's called men of renown. Mighty men. Men of renown in verse 4. <clears throat> Corruption of the human race by demonic intrusion. You saying the sin of Second Peter two four? Yes, and Jude going after strange flesh, 
keeping out their habitation, their first leaving their first estate, what they were intended for. Would this be that Tartarus would be the same reference to the bottomless pit that Satan was cast for a thousand years? It mentioned this as having keep the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He was put into the bottomless pit, and as mentioned here, but. Whether it is or whether Tartarus is emptied into that place. Yes. Are these three views mutually exclusive? In other words, you mentioned uh, about... Uh, two and three are semi-compatible. Because, I mean, uh, if the fallen angels were cohabiting with women of these other, like, Sephites or Canaanites, and then their children would rise up to be despots, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? Uh, Could be. Is it yeah. possible there's some overlap here? Anything's possible if you don't have anything that says it. <laughs> that's the way it was, you know. So I mean, I, I, I can't. I, it's only speculation. I'm saying that while mine, while my particular view approach to it may sound like speculation, I feel it has more clear scriptural support. Although it has problems, obvious problems. You know, this side of the coin to say that 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 sin of verse four is the sin that was in heaven. Verse four in Second Peter. The it could be, but then you're left with the question of why was what they did different? Why were they locked up and a whole host of other demons not? Why do they have this unique holding place? And what does it mean that it's like those who of Sodom who went after strange flesh? In other words, unnatural flesh. We call that that which is against nature. But then you'd also have to, to wonder, you know, why was it that these demons from Mark chapter 5 were worried about being sent to that same Because they would be locked up forever. You know, they wouldn't be let out. But it wouldn't have been the same sin is what I'm saying. So. Right, but they knew about it. They knew about that place where those guys didn't get out. Anyway, I don't want to dwell the whole time on that. It's just I think there's enough if you look at that page. And later, if you have questions about it, we can certainly discuss it. But um, I, I bring that up under the category in act, uh, of the, the various fallen angels that we do find. Now, um, and so we have their activity prior to creation. We have their activity prior to the flood. I'm going to state the obvious now as you find the scriptures here listed on page 44. Um, that, uh, wait a minute, 44, yes, 44. Uh, the second 44, the doctrine of demons, Satan and demons. Um, you have their activity throughout the book of Acts. You have their activity in the Gospels. What I find interesting by the way, I, I don't want to short anybody on the study. I know we've got to move along time-wise. The, the scriptures are listed here. What I, what I want to say is that we could turn to all the references in the Gospels that have demonic activity. We see that demons there inflict uh, physical illness. They're involved in that. We find them uh, possessing people and animals. Uh, we find them uh, doing all sorts of things there. In the, in the Gospels, very clearly, unmistakably, demonic activity evidenced. When you come to the book of Acts, again, unmistakable, demonic activity, casting out of demons. 
woman demon possessed, you know, following Paul and them, and so on. Uh, spiritism, mediums, and, and, and so on. What I find interesting, though, at least worthy of note, is that when you come to the epistles, which are the instruction for those believers in this age of the church, you don't find a lot of mention about that type of activity. You're not really warned about it in the same way. You are said, you are told in Ephesians, as we've been reminded in chapter 6, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, principalities and powers and so on. We are to take on the armor of God uh, to be able to stand and resist the enemy and so on. No doubt that there is demonic activity. David and I were talking a bit earlier about the fact that it seems clearly in some countries that we go to, particularly, I'm just going to say this in a very blanket way, some of the more undeveloped countries, that there seems to be a more widespread evidence of the type of demonic activity that we find the Lord dealing with in the Gospels and the apostles dealing with in the book of Acts. I would never be one to say we don't find that in the United States or in the more, quote, enlightened parts of the world. Um, but it doesn't seem to have the same type of manifestations. At least this is my general observation. Now, I'll ask two things, two parts. Agree or disagree, and then why? If you agree, why? Agree with what? <laughs> that, that the fact is that, just as a broad generalization, that in some of the more undeveloped countries around the world, you still find clear cases of what is demonic activity that manifests itself like it did in the book of Acts and in the Gospels, Okay while in some other countries you, you don't find the manifestation of it that way. That's what I said, agree or disagree, and if you agree, why? Well, what I would say is, is you know, in connection with what Galatians 4 says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. So I would say that the time when God came, when God's son came to this earth, it was very unique. God had built this up, you know, Romans were taking control, you know, the road that they built, and just to spread the gospel, all these things come together, orchestrated by God. And I would say that the demon activity in that day was very unique in, in itself, because of it, different reasons. But one I would say in 11, uh, John 11, is this, that when Jesus said, Let, let's go to Bethany because, you know, Lazarus is sick, and this is the reason why, it says this sickness is not to the end, but to death but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. So things were happening around him. God was causing it so that these people could understand that this is the Son of God and he is to be glorified. And these things were pushing him along to signify his deity. And that he had power over the demonic world and spiritual forces. Yeah, and I would say especially to those people who have seen that since the birth of their nation, God directly intervening in them. You know, an angel killing 185,000 people. I mean, that's not something you see anymore. And so to, to you know, to, uh, what's the word, to authorize his deity, you know, these things came about in showing that 
You know, he is God. He's very unique in that he, even in his apostles, the spreading of the gospel would have to impart that power. Would you say that that also authenticated the message in the book of Acts? I would say it would. Mm-hmm. I think it was a very unique time, and you know, the apostles, like you were just talking about, the apost- uh, apostolic authority they have, we don't see today. Laying on of hands and giving the spirit. I don't now, think now, now, following, following that, having yeah. said that, um, what, how then would you describe, if you would agree, that in certain countries of the world today, there still seems to be this similar type of demonic activity? I absolutely think there still is today. I, but I, why I, in certain places and not others? I think because the civilization has progressed more, you know, uh, we've gone intellectually smarter, and in those places, uh, Colombia, Venezuela, Mexico. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, how to put it into words. <laughs> We're very much aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes, absolutely. Yeah. I do. More enlightened. It would be obvious if, uh, mm-hmm. if in like the United States, uh, he won't come in this manner because it would stand out. So he comes, the devil's very conniving. Yes, I think you're on to something. I do, yes. What? Uh, well, what he... The repetition was asked for. He didn't want to say it too loudly because it's being recorded. But, uh, <laughs> but he, the point, I think, of what Ozzy's trying to say is that in a more enlightened... I hesitate to use that word, don't get me wrong, but what I'm saying is um, in certain more enlightened uh, cultures perhaps that the type of demonic activity is different Yes. because Satan is subtle and what works in one place isn't his necessary strategy in another place. Is that... David, I, I like the nature of the way you asked the question, which is, I'll clarify according to what you just said with Ozzy here, is that it seems to me that the activities has been going on all along, but the manifestation is what we see differences in. For example, when um, Elisha and his servant were there all alone with the army surrounding them, and Elisha prayed for his servant's eyes to be opened, there wasn't suddenly an army there that wasn't there before. It was only that his eyes could now see it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so when you, when you consider why is it that we hear missionaries coming from foreign fields sharing stories about angels, demonic activity, and we're not seeing them here, it, it goes back to the very nature of those angels or demons themselves. The angels we see being revealed in the scriptures almost hesitate to reveal themselves for fear of the attention being put on themselves rather than the one they serve, yeah. the Almighty God. And so, but, but there are times where the, 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 in order to succeed in the mission for which they were sent, they have to reveal themselves. Um, whereas, to the very contrary with the demons, right? I, I mean, in other countries where people uh, 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 do not have knowledge of the scriptures and are in fear of ancestral spirits, the demons are able to lord over this authority over them because of the manifestations that they have. And they're successful in what they're doing and undermining the work of God in the hearts of these people because of their manifestations. Whereas here, with the biblical understanding people have, if demons were as blatant here as they were overseas, it would undermine their own work yeah. because of the found, biblical foundation and so many people's understanding here. So it's more to Satan's advantage to stay uh, undercover, subtle, yeah. and behind the scenes in our culture, whereas there, 
if he can exert his power in their presence, oh, they, he's got control. Well, Where, anyways, so. No, no, that's good. I think there's two things along that line. One is that in much of the spiritism and ancestral worship and religions of the world, you see that dovetails rather nicely, doesn't it? Because they're in touch with these things anyway, occultic, what we would call occultic type things. Um, whereas if Satan comes uh, that way here, well, turn to, first, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and let's just look at how his subtlety is. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about somebody coming in verse 4 and preaching another Jesus or receiving another spirit or another gospel and so on in verse 4, 2 Corinthians 11. And um, then he says in verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is of no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So what if Satan, to put it simplistically, in this type of culture, uh, you know, somebody frothing at the mouth and foaming uh, at the mouth and rolling around on the ground here, and somebody would walk by and say, well, get that guy some you know, Ritalin or thorax or whatever. I mean, you know, yeah, he's having a seizure, you know. Whereas, on the other hand, if Satan has a minister who stands in a pulpit and preaches, you can be saved by your good works and by your righteousness and who lives a morally clean life, how many people is he going to lead astray? You see? That's exactly what I was going to say. I knew it was. No, no, no. no, 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 no. <laughs> I am too. Yeah. You see, like in, in these underdeveloped countries yeah. where a, a man doesn't have much possession, lives in a shack, and has a few cows or sheep, here in a nation of consumer, he's given wealth, yeah. property, yeah. Uh, status. So I don't know if that's a, a manifestation of being possession, but he's guided by these Spirits. external yeah. things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Well, you see the subtlety that's involved with this. Um, and so his major sphere, of, one of his major spheres of activity, and watch this. Um, turn, if you would, to First Timothy, which, I mean, Second Timothy, which describes the very times in which we live. I know I've pointed this out before, but it bears on the subject at hand. Second Timothy and chapter 4. <clears throat> By the way, chapter 3 just to give you a cross-reference, in chapter 3 and verse 1 of Second Timothy, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That's the same word that's used in Matthew 8.28 that speaks of uh, demonic activity, if I'm not mistaken. Matthew 8.28, which I'll uh, just briefly read for you. Matthew 8.28 says, um, when he's come to the other side of the country, the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce. That's the same word that's used for perilous. So it's it's an expressive term that sometimes in context indicates demonic activity. 
And then it says in chapter 4, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Keep to themselves teachers having itching ears. Turn away their ears from the truth. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I mean chapter 4, he says, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So Satan is actively involved in the area of doctrine and in seducing spirits, drawing away people who are under the umbrella of faith or Christianity. And if you examine the cults, most of the people that are in cults, they're they're not people who've never had any religious persuasion. Many of them are people who had some um, attachment to Christianity and were drawn away into that thing in which they've been involved in because they got a mind towards religious things. So one of the great spheres of activity of Satan is in this area of false doctrine and false teaching, seducing people to believing these doctrines. And um, the perilous times that come, as we found in Second Timothy, from the departure of the truth and the heeding to what these demons say. In the area of the gospel, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So he pulls the veil over people's eyes. The lies of Satan. One of the reasons people don't believe is because Satan blinds their minds to the truth. And sometimes we see that deception. I remember it in a personal experience of which I won't elaborate on now, but it was no doubt in my mind that I saw for one of the first times, the clearest times, the blinding of Satan of the mind. You know, in other words, of pulling the wool over, the lie that had been believed to cause a person to reject the gospel. It was very clear, very evident. Matthew 13 talks about his activity as the wicked one snatching the seed away. You know, as the word of God is sown, he wants to snatch that away before it finds good soil and takes deep root. So he's definitely active in these doctrinal areas. He's definitely active in opposing the gospel. So his strategy, you see, as... uh, Um, as Paul would say, we are not ignorant of his devices. We understand something of his strategies. So it appears to me that perhaps part of the answer of what we're talking about is, hey, what works here and in other countries, he'll use whatever means he's got. He'll use that over there. And that I don't want to sound oversimplistic, but that's part of what it seems like the answer to me. It's not that he can't do the one or the other in both places. Yes, Brian. Yes. I would say that that is definitely an effect of his method is, is changing and shifting, right? However he can entice and deceive men to go astray. And one of the striking things I was thinking of is, is the two angels that appeared to Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot sees them, and what's his reaction is to fall down. He recognizes these are angelic from God. And what's the people who are under this deception's reaction? Yeah. Let's sleep with them. Yeah. They don't even have any respect for him. Yeah these angelic beings. So they're already in this deception, whether it was from a you know, a minister of light or some kind of thing, hey, this is okay to, to sleep around and be immoral in this way. Yeah. They're already minds have depraved themselves of this. Yeah, interesting. That if Satan would come in in the you know, the way we think, you know, devil pitchfork trying to scare them has no effect on right. them. Right. 
Right. And so they're already in, you know, indoctrinated by this. But also, I was thinking of uh, uh, Ahab. Yeah. You know, Ahab here he has the prophet of God there, but there are false prophets. Lying spirits. That are yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That the spirits have gone into them to give them utterances that are not true. Yeah. To you know to confuse you know and to deceive. It's always important, isn't it? Not that a man stands up and says he's a man of God or has a message from God, but it's very important to listen to what he says. And there are people right in this country who have huge followings, but listen sometimes to what they say. And yet they generate crowds that fill arenas. You know, And, and yet if you listen to their message... <laughs> and why is that important? Um, I'll I'll give you just one little biblical description. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. The beast coming up out of the earth in verse 11 of Revelation 13. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spake as a dragon. He looked like a lamb. But if you listen to what he had to say, he talked like the dragon. And there's people today who look like the lamb. But if you listen, it's the voice of the dragon. And so we have to be cautious. Now, that's Revelation 13, 11. Satan is a limited being. His demons are limited. Their judgment is certain. Their uh, power is partially, I believe today, in the age in which we live. Remember, it's hard for us to imagine. The book of Acts is a great big book. So are the Gospels. Great big books. Take up a whole lot of territory, you know. And, and, and rightfully so. I mean, I don't want to in any way minimize those, but... We sometimes tend to forget, at least I think we do, I have to remind myself that there's a transition going on. And that transition takes up a whole lot of space and territory, but a transition is a moving from one thing to another. You don't stay in the transition zone. You know, uh, if you fly, sometimes flying on long flights around the world, you stop at a certain place for a couple of hours, and it's called being in transit. It's not your destination. You're there waiting two hours in Narita to get to... Malaysia, you see, but you've got to stay there in transit. And so you have transitions. You don't get hung up in the transition because it's moving you towards something. It's like that with the church. So um, we, we sometimes uh, tend to hang up in the transition zone, so to speak. But remember that that was moving towards something else. Now, in the age in which we find ourselves living... In the church, we read passages such as what you find in 1 John chapter 4, which I think was quoted earlier. Uh, at least part of it was about trying the spirits. Uh, but it also tells us there, you're of God, little children, in verse 4, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I think that part of what we, we said as well, or what we had said earlier, and I know we can't remember it that far back, but that in the age in which we live, there is another very unique feature which we sometimes minimize because of distortions, and that is the Spirit of God, the permanent indwelling in the believer of the Spirit of God. 
Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And because the Spirit of God indwells personally every believer in Christ, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his, Romans chapter 8. Because of that, that power, that influence is so great, it is unique to this age. It did not ever happen before in any other age. The Lord said, uh, John said of the Lord in John chapter 7, This spake he of the Spirit, which had not been given yet, because he had not yet been glorified. Hadn't gone to his death, burial, resurrection, ascension into glory, giving of the Spirit of God. So, So now, you see, think about this. Book of Acts, transition kind of a bleeding over of the Gospels, if you will. Things are still changing from that Jewish gospel stage, Jewish law-type stage to the church and so on. And the Spirit of God has come down into the world, and man, an explosion almost of, of spiritual and demonic activity. Spiritual activity on the good, demonic activity on the bad. But the Word of God being written, Spirit of God coming into the world in a unique way, I believe, is a restrainer in the world. So the difference of spiritual activity that exists in the age in which we live. Not that it doesn't occur, but that's why I think in the New Testament you do not find the instructions that are given to believers telling you to go around fighting demons and to go around doing this and that and the other and focusing on the demonic. The general thrust seems to be if you will focus on the spiritual aspects of your life and taking on the armor of God, you're not going to have to worry about demons and all that. David. Well, I was, I was going to quote that passage there in Ephesians 6 because the very life of obedience to the Lord equips us with armor, uh, um, some of which it seems we're already always wearing, but he tells us there are certain parts we have to take up yeah. It, it, but it's all about being obedient and, and being before the Lord and his, his renewing of our minds and, and that whole process of, uh, of our walk with him. But 1 Corinthians 5, in the passage dealing with this man who was being disciplined because of his refusal to submit to the authority of Christ and was put out of fellowship in the church, it's interesting. At the same time we read where it says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, speaking of the believer, it says... Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And so there is, by the very nature of obedience to Christ, an inherent protection and sanctification from these uh, strongholds of the enemy. Uh, Much in my own mind, I picture like the, the hedge of protection around Job that Satan was aware of. But known disobedience and refusal to repent and to be in submission to the Lord places one in jeopardy of becoming under bondage to these things, even as a believer. Yeah, I think that's a very good uh, summation. That known obedience and, and walking as we should provides that protection, that inherent protection from these things. Now, the question is, well, it's not here anymore, unfortunately, but Florida Bible College used to be down the road there, you know. I had a series of messages once by Merrill Unger. Um, and Merrill Unger wrote Unger's Bible Dictionary, Unger's Bible Handbook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He wrote quite a controversial book, which I have, called What Satan Can Do to Sinning Saints. 
and uh, it stirred uh, stirred the pot. And I have somewhere, I don't even know where I, if I still have them, but a series of cassette messages on that subject. And what stirred the pot was, um, it's always been a question in some folks' mind, is how far demons can influence a believer. And, and I think what Mr. Unger was trying to say back then was that he never said possessed, but strong oppression you know and and a lot stronger sometimes than maybe we would give credit to but that's an interesting thing you bring out in that first corinthians 5 passage because that man was delivered over into that realm for satan to sort of have his way with him right um so uh any other thoughts or comments on this i know there's questions i'm sure Accuser of the brethren. Um, chapter 12, by the way, of Revelation, and we're not on Satan. I don't, are you doing that as a separate category? Subject of Satan, Satanology? No. <laughs> I'm sorry? Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't get that in my. Uh, my. Uh, yeah. What do you call it? Your um, synopsis or whatever. What do you call the thing you get in college? Uh, the syllabus. 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 That's the word I'm thinking of, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, if you'll notice in Revelation chapter 12, there are at least four characteristics of Satan that are mentioned there. Um, he's called, in verse 9, well, he's called the dragon, that old serpent, the devil, Satan, which deceiveth. He's a deceiver. In verse uh, 10, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the persecutor, because he persecutes those in verse 13, persecutes the woman and so on. And he's the destroyer in verse 17, one that makes war with the remnant of her seed. So there's at least four characteristics there that are mentioned of him. Deceiver, accuser, persecutor, destroyer. And so on. But as we have noted, how they overcame him the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. And by the way, I think it's important to, you know, we don't have to be afraid, but we should have healthy respect. And I think we lose a bit of that sometimes. Um, just look what is said in Jude, if you will, please, uh, just before the book of Revelation. It says, uh, I think it's Jude. Oh, yeah, yeah. In verse um, 8, 
Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Somebody else give me a rendering of that different. Verse 8? Yes. Yet in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, defile the flesh, and reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. Revile angelic majesties. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses... He did not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Give me that rendering, somebody. In. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Anybody have anything else for railing judgment? Reviling accusation. A what? Reviling. A reviling accusation. He wouldn't even bring against him a reviling accusation, but just simply said, the Lord rebuked thee. And sometimes we hear people in jest and whatever else, you know, you know, talking about the devil and those kind of powers as if they were just something to be tritefully joked about or even talked down in a way. But uh, Michael the archangel, who simply said, the Lord rebuked thee. So while we don't have to fear, we have a healthy respect and we have an understanding that we live in a world of spiritual influence and spiritual beings. And uh, listen, I'm firmly convinced, you want to talk about too, demonic activity, I believe that um, a lot of the things that we see today in the world, uh, in, in, in our quote, enlightened society, have no other explanation. If you want to explain to me how pre-adolescence can pick up weapons and kill massive numbers of people or their parents or their grandparents or their siblings and, and people commit atrocious acts of, of horrible violence that defy explanation in the world and the society in which we find ourselves living, I mean, the experts don't have any explanation for it. They can't explain it. They can give you all of their professed, you know, learned uh, reasoning and whatnot and talk like the pundits do, but they don't have any real explanation. And I, I want to say that there's a tremendous amount of demonic activity. Remember that in the days just before the flood, wickedness increased upon the face of the earth. Violence increased upon the face of the earth. See, sometimes people want to think, ah, things have always been bad. Things have always been like this. No, they haven't. There have been times of increased wickedness and violence that occurred just before God brought his judgment on the planet. And I believe we're seeing some of that now. I really do. No other explanation for it. And yet we as believers don't have to fear these things. One of my... Well, I don't know if I want to bring it out, but anyway... Can I just say something? Yes, you may. Uh, we don't need to fear those things, but I think we should take warning from them. Absolutely. Um, you know, there have been things postulated by people about why they see these things. Yeah. From their own earthly perspective, on the horizontal level, they'll say movies, video games, they're graphic and violent, whatever. And uh, I don't mean to debate that, but I, I will say as I look at myself, and I'm not an avid moviegoer movie of any kind, but I, I recall watching a movie at one point. And, uh, you know, as movies do, they want to, to 
to, to, to get us to see the evil characters and the various people the way they want us to, and it was working in my case. I was entering into the storyline, and I remember there was a certain point where the hero of the story had a chance to set things right, and I remember saying, I heard myself saying, kill him, kill him! And I caught myself, and I thought, how easily I bought into the mentality because I let my guard down and I engaged my mind the way they wanted me to. And how easy it is for us as believers who are challenged to be renewing our minds. You know, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Paul says in Philippians that we ought to, you know, if there's good repute, if it's holy and pure and just, think on these things and the God of peace will be with you. And I think there's a danger if, 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 if we just go along with things and say, well, it's just a game or it's just a movie and we disconnect the holiness and righteousness of God for a time period thinking it's okay here and it's okay here if I just, and then I'll come back. But we buy into it and it becomes something we meditate on. It becomes something that becomes a reflex reaction and we can go down the path of the world being conformed to this world if we're not real careful. And I think there are doors that people can open. Um, it's one thing, obviously, with a believer who has the resource of the Spirit of God, the Word of God, etc. But it's another thing, too, with um, those that don't and begin to open some of those doors, um, be it through drugs or be it through um, music or other things that can have an effect on the mind. And, you know, I know the argument. Well... This many people listen, watch, do. It doesn't affect them. But there are those that it does. And it can trigger something. And, uh, you know, um, I have a friend. You'd have to know him, but he's a very intense kind of person. And when he first got saved, he struggled tremendously because he's, uh, he was a pharmacist. And he was reading in the book of Revelation about sorcery and realized that the root of that word was pharmacology you know it was the same word Greek word that we would get our word pharmacist for and uh, he just didn't know whether he ought to give up his whole profession or what you know but the reason was is because uh, in occultic practices there was often the uh, use of drugs and those type of things there was a very close connection between the occult and drug abuse and so even that word that's translated sorceries in the King James has its root in uh, the root word for drugs and that kind of a thing. So um, there, there are things that seem to be connected. I think music is one. Uh, again, I, I'm not uh, one who would just uh, paint with too broad a brush there, but there certainly are plenty of forms of music that um, can trigger things in people's minds. Music is very powerful. When you think that Satan, who was Lucifer, was originally created... And one of his spheres of activity was the field of music. And, and he was intended, music was intended to lead uh, people to the worship of the Almighty. And he perverted that and corrupted it for his own general use. And which religion or which occultic practice even in many parts of the world do you see that isn't associated in somehow with music and with uh, chanting and, and things of that nature? So there's... There's avenues um, that that we have to be aware of, don't we? And again, 
when when you have some basis, as David has said, some of preservation in the scriptures, in the Spirit of God, a great preventative, uh, a great uh, what did you call it earlier? Uh, a, na- a natural um, barrier, not a barrier, but a uh, well, yeah. But you said uh, there was a if we progressed in these things, it provided for us a. Um, well, yeah, but you said it a different way. I wish I could recapture it. Well, we were talking about the fact that as you, if you went along in obedience to these things, that there was a, a natural uh, inherent, inherent protection against these things, an inherent protection against these things. But you take a world that doesn't have those inherent protections, you see, and it exposes itself to whatever's out there. And, and for, in, in my travels in various uh, uh, years in the past, when, when I would go to various different parts of the country, I would run across people who have come in face-to-face confrontations with demons being manifested in various individuals. And um, I would say almost invariably, nearly 100% of those people would caution me, or whoever was in the conversation, don't seek this kind of experience. Yeah. If it's the Lord's will that you be in a place to be used by Him to confront that kind of a situation and to, to be able to uh, stand under the authority of the Lord Jesus and, and, and to, to, to act in that, that situation, He will equip you and empower you in that moment to deal with it. But to seek it out was the recipe for, for, for real hazard. And that seems, like you say, we're not told to seek these things. We're told to resist, and that's a defensive term, right? If he comes after us, we resist the devil, draw near to God, <laughs> and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We don't need to fear him, but we're never told to seek him, to, to go run out and look for him. Yeah. He's there, he's working, and, and, and God will, will use, even without our knowing. How many times, uh, uh, the, the stories that we've heard of, of these missionaries, they weren't asking for demon protection. You know, and and the men, even even Bruce Simpson, who um, who told when he came through several years ago, and this is a brethren missionary, that's why I bring him up because he doesn't hold a doctrinal position that we would find questionable. But there were men who were who were set out to come into the assembly where he was teaching to take him out to take his life. And once they finally got around to coming in, they heard the gospel and were saved and revealed the fact that they had come at other times to come in, but didn't because of the bodyguards that were there. There were no bodyguards. The believers never saw it. But for the sake of the success of the mission those angels were sent for, they were there and revealed themselves. And so we don't need to seek these things. We seek the Lord. We follow Him. We, we, we need to keep Him as Lord in our lives and, and live obediently. And He'll take care of us. He'll protect us. And if it means a revelation of His own angelic spirit for the purpose it needs to be, so be it. And if it means that He drives away demonic spirits because of the presence of His spirit in us, He'll do that. Uh, and if in the, in, the, in the seeking to save a soul in the bondage of energy, He wants to realize that and evidence it so that we can directly confront it, He'll do it. But, but let us beware. The, the respect given for those angelic spirits mentioned in Jude, even by Michael the archangel, not to go too far into that realm. 
but to say, the Lord rebuke you. We can take a little lesson. I think, too, to follow that up, I just, that he quoted something in James 4, and it's written down in the list of devil, and it's very complete for me. You know, in my mind, I don't want to, like, minimize the demonic activity, but I will say that God is still sovereignly in control. And so submit to God, resist. It's not that he can get in there without you saying, come in and inviting it. So when you open up your mind, you know, that's the very punishment of the unsaved of this world. They neglected the knowledge of God, so God judged their mind and gave them over to a depraved mind. And so they pushed out the knowledge of God, so they invented all these things. Then there's evil, malice, and then that's where the judgment came because they pushed out the knowledge of God. God gave them over to this thing. And same thing with the believer. So if a person wants to persist in an immoral life, it says deliver them over to Satan. And so God is allowing this to happen for a reason. It's not that he has this, Satan has a control over the believer's life not the case. It's, you know, resist them. Say, no, I don't want that. Keep on going. Submit forward to them. Any other thoughts or contributions, questions? Why don't you commit us to the Lord? Will you? Dear Gracious Assembly, Father, we thank you so much that we can open your holy word, Father. We thank you so much that you have sent your spirit to live inside of us, Father, to understand 